Hey, tennis fans, you are listening to Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. We're also members of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Ben Lewis, joined alongside Mike McIntyre. And Mike feels like the long and grueling tennis season has finally come to an end. We wrapped with the Davis Cup, Italy winning for the first time in 47 years, Canada falling in the quarterfinals to Finland. And you had the opportunity to catch up with uh, one of our Canadian athletes who we haven't heard from in a while, but is quietly having some nice success, uh, former guest Carson Brandstein. Yeah, still so much to talk about this time of year. And, you know, we kind of joke about how after the U.S. Open, sometimes it's it's tough for tennis fans to stay interested in the sport, given how long the season is. And, and I know we've talked recently about when we were younger, that's when we checked out, or at least I checked out after the U.S. Open when I was a kid. But there's so much stuff happening. And I think one of the reasons we we pay more attention now is the fact that Canada plays such a vital part in the team competitions that we have this time of year. 2022 Davis Cup champions, 2023 now Billie Jean King Cup champions. And even though it didn't go our way in Davis Cup, and we'll talk about that a bit later in terms of their loss to Team Finland, uh, still I think as Canadians and knowing we're on the tennis map, there's just so much reason to pay attention to what's going on this time of year for us. Yeah, absolutely. And and even tracking some of our younger Canadians who are playing the challenger circuit or playing ITFs like Carson Brandstein and, and seeing, you know, different players uh, break through and, and have success like Marina Stakushic at the Tevlin Challenger, uh, which led into that phenomenal performance at Billie Jean King Cup. There's there's a lot more to be excited about, of course, for Canadian tennis fans compared to even a decade ago, let alone two decades ago, where some of these realities like, you know, U.S. Open titles from Bianca Andreescu and international titles like Davis Cup, Billie Jean King Cup seem like a complete impossibility. So uh, we're in a very good place right now. And, you know, a couple months ago, we were talking certainly at large about the disappointment it was for Canadian tennis, but we really have sort of managed to finish on on a high note, I think, through the fall. Yeah, and I think it's great when you can connect the dots from events like the Tevlin Challenger to the bigger team events. Like you see Marina Stakushik, who had success in September and October at the ITF level. And then, boom, look what she ended up doing. Look at what Gabriel Diallo and Alexi Gallerno have done in the fall with wins over top 50 players as well, and then representing their country. And now we're talking with, in this episode, a player who's been a little bit forgotten about, I feel like, Carson Brandstein because of injuries the last few years and the fact that she's been sort of buried, in a sense, in the college system in the U.S., where probably most Canadians aren't following along what's happening there. But she's had two ITF wins uh, at the 15K level, which she'll admit in the interview is is a smaller level tournament, but she can take confidence from that, look forward to 2024, and maybe she's one of those Canadian players that can connect those dots in the coming season. Yeah, definitely. Uh, a, a player who had big-time junior success. Um, some might remember her winning a pair of junior Grand Slam doubles titles alongside her good friend Bianca Andrescu. And we've spoken to her a few times. Mike, here is your conversation with Canadian uh, slash American tennis player Carson Brandstein. Hi, tennis fans, and welcome to Matchpoint Canada. I'm Mike McIntyre, and happy today to be joined by a Canadian tennis player who has won junior French Open and Australian Open doubles titles, played college tennis most recently for Texas A&M, where last year she achieved a top 10 singles ranking and was an All-American. Recently, she's coming off back-to-back ITF titles in Tunisia. She's been a regular here on the podcast. Carson Brandstein, thanks once again for joining us. Thank you, Mike. Happy to be back. It's so nice to have you back. And as we were saying before I hit record, 
this seems to be becoming like an annual tradition. So here is our next installment on uh, Life with Carson. And, I know. Uh, and so we're happy to see you again. And, and especially when things are seemingly clicking so well for you. And God knows anyone who's been listening to the podcast with you over the last few years knows the sort of uh, challenges that you've been through in terms of physical injuries and surgeries, knee, hip, uh, you know, a whole bunch of things. Things seem like they're settled now and you're playing some great tennis. You've got those two titles back to back recently, which is fantastic. Why don't you bring us up to speed on uh, on how things are going right now in terms of on the court, but also off the court? I mean, I can't complain, really. Uh, just being healthy is the biggest part of what's really kind of been keeping me going and just really being really proud of myself because winning is always a great thing. And I think, you know, I've had a fair share of good wins in my life, but now that I could really own these wins and like come off of a tournament saying like, I wasn't getting through, I was winning and I was playing the tennis that I wanted for the first time in, in years, honestly, um, was something that was really special for me. And I hope that I can continue this streak. I feel like when we spoke the last time, it, it seemed like you were also getting over and getting past the injuries, but then there was, I guess, something else that needed to be done. Was it the other hip this time? Yeah, so I'll just kind of break down my injury situation. It started with my knees. I always had like knee problems growing up and stuff. I, I'm tall, I'm 5'11". So I kind of just thought, all right, I'm a tall girl. It happens, it's just rehab too good. But come to find out after my first hip surgery, my doctor did tell me that there is a pretty good chance I was going to end up needing the other one done. But there's a lot of people who just get one and they're fine. Um, but I was born with a problem where I basically just don't have enough room in my hips. And I guess one in four people have this. So it's not like it's not super new, uncommon. New um, but you know, when I came back, the other one started hurting pretty soon, I would say. And it's not even in my control with tennis. It was just something that was going to happen playing any high level sport or working out really hard anyways, and come to find out the hip stuff was the reason why my knees were so bad my whole life. I was never functioning properly. I was never getting strong properly. I can never do mobility properly my entire life. So now that I've fixed my hips, it's amazing how my body has almost thanked me in a way because in a really short period, I'm able to do things that I've never been able to do in my whole life. And it's actually really cool to see him. It's been really fun. And knock on wood, but now moving forward, are you hopeful that this last surgery is kind of it in terms of regulating everything and having the whole body work together and in cohesion? I would say so, because now structurally my body is correct. Uh, I'm not dealing with, you know, a hip that's has a bone growing weird. There's no tears anywhere that are lingering. I am healthy where before it was kind of a healthy, but hopefully where now it's I'm healthy and if I were to get injured, it would have to be like something crazy where I fall down on the court or something like that. But my body is structurally repaired and better than ever. And awesome. yeah. Well, congratulations. Thank um, you. I know when we talked last time, you kind of talked about the challenge of watching your peers playing while you were on the sidelines and watching your peers have success while you were forced to watch. And, and now that you're coming out of that time period, What's your outlook moving forward in terms of what you think you can achieve on the court and, and how you feel even just in terms of your relationship with tennis at this stage? Gosh, I have gone through a lot with this part. Uh, the mental side has been key for me through this whole thing because there's times, you know, in the last year 
and through this recovery where honestly at the very beginning of this last recovery I wasn't sure if I was going to come back at all that's where I was at I was in my head thinking surgery number four no one has had to go through this before why me I was having all these sort of conversations with myself and as I started progressing and seeing how quickly I was recovering and seeing the things I was able to do and even just practicing again and seeing like just playing tennis just because I love it and just kind of not taking myself too seriously I just had this I don't want to say it was like the aha moment but in a way it was I was like wow you know my whole life I've played this game and done this life that is crazy and I've never been able to fully explore it because of things that were out of my control and now that I I'm able to kind of like do these things that I wasn't able to do and I already got to a certain level without it kind of just put something in my head not a chip on my shoulder but kind of just like put a little spark in me where I decided you know what I know my tennis is there and it was never the tennis that was the problem. I've always had to deal with these nagging injuries and stuff. Why not just go and enjoy this game that I've played my entire life? My entire life has been shaped by tennis. Why don't I give myself another chance and see how good I really am and what I'm actually capable of now that I can say that I'm healthy and physically get to the point that all these other girls are at and compete against them and, beat them physically mentally and with my tennis well it's great to hear that not I mean not just that you're there physically but that mentally that this is something that you want to do because it would be totally understandable I think after all that you've been through to say you know what uh too much I'm going to give my body a break and I'm going to focus on other things and I mean you've got so many other interests and and talents and things going for you you know completing the the schoolwork and and being you know wanting to do things with that in the future as well not just being at school for the sake of furthering your tennis career but as you've said to me before I think really being interested in what you were studying wanting to pursue that later in life perhaps as a career the modeling work that's uh, also been something that you've really embraced over the last little while and when you and I spoke earlier this year I think you were talking about yeah maybe hanging up the racket because a financially it's it's very difficult um you know when you're you're ranked where you are to have to start from scratch again after all these surgeries basically but also because of other interests that were kind of I think pulling you in a certain direction so um you're feeling now like it's going to be tennis time moving forward at least for the the foreseeable uh, future yeah I think too you know when you kind of have these conversations with people and then suddenly you know when you're really down on yourself and you kind of see the people who are there for you supporting you I kind of got both sides of Carson don't quit you can do this thing and I kind of got the oh well it's okay if you stop like maybe you should you shouldn't do this it's too much the people who kind of said those kinds of things to me drove me even more because I hate taking no for an answer. When people tell me I can't do something, it makes me want to do it. And I think that's a blessing and a curse in a lot of ways. But for my tennis, I was like, you know what? I don't want to like sound like I'm like cocky and mean or like any of these kinds of things, but I'm like, you know what? Like I'm better than that. Who are these people to say what I can and can't do? I know what I can do with myself and I know I can put in the work. I have just like this energy and kind of aura about myself. I think nowadays where I'm, I'm not afraid of anything anymore and I want to go on the court and I have this like killer instinct. I know there were just 15 K's in Tunisia, but I went there to take care of business. My mindset there, I was like, I'm going here. 
I don't care what tournaments I've played before this because I'd only played one tournament and I hadn't played more than one practice set in, in practice before this. I went in there knowing how I was practicing. I was like, I know going to this tournament, so I'm better than everyone here. I don't care what my experience is before. I've done this before. It might have been a couple years, but I'm going here to win. That's my job. I play this game. I don't go to play for an experience. I don't go to play to have fun. I come here and I go to win because that's what I prepared to do. And that was sort of my mindset through the whole two weeks. And not only did I win, but I only dropped one set and I was winning the matches really easily against pretty good players too. There were some and, nice score lines for sure. I saw that. Yeah. 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 You know, and I, I don't see myself, my identity is not in 15 Ks. I see myself at a much higher level and I hold myself to a much higher standard and I'm really proud of myself for proving day in and day out for that many matches straight that, hey, this isn't me. This is just a stepping stone to where I want to be. This is just step one. And I'm kind of using that to sort of build and to hopefully go and start next year with that same energy and to get into bigger tournaments and hopefully have that same thing and move up as quickly as I can and get to that level. Yeah, so let's talk about those next step then. And you'll have to forgive me for kind of losing track of where you're at with the whole college thing because of the number totally of schools fine. that you've that you've been at. And you, I mean, you've talked about University of, of Southern Cal, uh, University yeah. of Virginia, and then Texas A&M, where you really seem to, to find the right place for you and, and your home and, and hit your groove there. Um, are, are you still in school? Are you in your last year now? Where, where are you at with all that? Yeah, I am graduating in the spring but only online in the spring. I could technically come back and play the season if I wanted to. And that's not going to happen. I don't think unless something, you know, crazy happens in the next couple of weeks, but I'm ready to take my tennis full time and, and make it my job and my career, um, my love and pride, like it's always been. So yeah, I'm done in the spring, but it's just online classes. So I could be playing and have something else to do after my matches. Keep gotcha, my mind so- so as it stands now, you've played your last match then for Texas A&M, all things considered. Is that right? I think so, yeah. Yeah, right on. So any more tournaments? I mean, the season's almost done, although for tennis players, that's kind of a, an oxymoron because you know, the season's never done for tennis players. But any more tournaments before the end of you know December, before the end of the calendar year? Or is, is this yet those two in Tunisia for now? You know, I want to play another tournament so badly because, you know, when you're on a good streak, you want to just keep playing because I'm not satisfied with anything. I just love winning <laughs> it's, it was so fun I was like wow this is really fun um I don't think so the only maybe possibility is like 10 percent chance I actually do this there's two 25ks in Kenya randomly wow. that I saw and I don't want to play 15ks and I'm like it's kind of tempting I looked at the flight price and it was a little bit cheaper than I expected hmm. <laughs> so if I play anything I could be going to Kenya but that would be about it okay. um the chance it. happens are low well, we missed you at the Tevlin here uh, a few weeks ago in October. Would have loved to see you in Toronto, but because uh, I know you've played that event before, but not in a number of years now, it seems, uh, but maybe in the future. Um, National Bank Open next summer. Who knows, right? Not to get ahead of ourselves, but what, what kind of, where do you start? So, you know, when you make that, there's so many Canadian women who are doing the college route. We've spoken with plenty of them, Lane Sleeth, Ariana Arsenault, uh, among others. What's the next step? So now you've made this conscious commitment that you want to see where things can go professionally speaking. Where does one start in January to start taking those steps? How does that path look like for you? Man, I mean, definitely the training base thing is a big one for me. I'm going to be in Montreal, hopefully a good amount. And 
also IMG Academy and my sister is a coach there. So I'll be at IMG Academy be in Montreal. And then I actually have another coach in Germany. So if I'm in Europe, I can stop in Stuttgart where this coach is and uh, train with him as well. So I think kind of just having that set training schedule before anything happens in January is kind of key for me. I'm going to do a camp with TC for off season and just making sure I'm, I'm prepared for anywhere that I go because my ranking is still not good after these tournaments I won, but I had zero ranking before I'm only going to be 950. I think right. it's kind of where I get in and hopefully it's not 15 Ks. So there's, you know, a couple tournaments in Thailand there's one in California close to my house where I grew up and it's kind of just a matter of where am I getting in and what am I prepared for and going to places too, where the conditions have historically, you know, fit my game the best. I want to play hard court, ideally, you know, outdoor matches, playing in some warm weather places where I'm comfortable so that I can give myself the best chance to, to do well. How much are you going to miss that team environment that you got to be a part of um, and in the college route? Although you are still part of a team. You're part of that Tennis Canada group of players, and you know those players so, so well from, you know, your years as a junior and, and coming up the pipeline. So how does it feel, I guess, to transition from that one team environment to one where it's more individualistic, but still yet connected to the Ken- Tennis Canada sort of world as well? Right. You know, it's different. Um are the new coaches, I don't know if you've talked to Noelle yet, the incoming head of women's tennis, but she's amazing. And her and the women that are running the women's program now are really trying to kind of instill that team environment because you know, tennis is lonely. For We're sure. out here alone most of the time. Even if you do have a coach and stuff, you're your own team and there's not a lot of people around you who want to do well. You're surrounded by your competitors. And I think Tennis Canada kind of having this idea idea to make that team environment is going to help everyone tremendously. I mean, we see it already. Marina is doing incredible. Layla's playing well. Everyone seems to be super happy and um, taking kind of that environment really well. So far, it hasn't been long. It's always been a team environment, Tennis Canada, but I think that's kind of like their sort of theme going into next year. So I think that's going to be really fun. And then also bringing my college tennis experience with the team, like a true, true team environment is going to help me going forward because I know what it's like to be in a group of people and to want to push each other and to look at people who are your peers, but are your teammates and want them to do well. Of course, I look at any Canadian, I want them to win. Of course, I want, if it were up to me, I'd want 10 Canadians in the top 10 in the WTA. That'd be the coolest thing ever, but of course, you know, that's a long shot, but anything's possible. Um, But, you know, going into a team environment, or taking my team environment from college, especially at Texas A&M, you know, I also played tennis because I like the individuality of tennis. That's another thing. I didn't really know what a really strong, true team should look like until I went to A&M. And it was really cool. It was awesome. We were all best friends. My coaches were amazing. We could tell them anything. We trusted them. Trust is a big part. And the intentions were always genuine. And, um, that's something that you can't trade. And I think TC has those same qualities. And I think it's something that is only going to help your success and everyone else in this environment. I hope I can kind of like bring that myself around uh, anyone in the pro tennis world. So it definitely does seem like tennis Canada is pushing to make it feel like a team on both the women's and men's side. 
And and then both of those kind of push each other too. We saw the men winning Davis Cup a year ago, and now the women following suit with Billie Jean King Cup. And how amazing is that? The Canada was world champions on both sides, and you know, and for a brief two week period, we kind of held both those titles too uh, before the Davis Cup um, finished off and and resumed a week ago. But right. um, I, I just wonder, like this team mentality. It, it kind of saved the Canadians this year in a sense, because individually there were struggles. There were injury struggles. You know, unfortunately your friend Bianca, again, dealing with an injury that shut down her season prematurely. Felix struggled for a good stretch. Dennis had to, you know, put his racket away early as well this season, but in the team competitions, it almost seems like it's our saving grace. Um, did you follow much of the Billie Jean King cup run that the Canadians had? And what did you make of their success there? And you mentioned 18 year old Marina Stakushik earlier, who yeah. is a real unknown for many people listening. Not so much anymore. I, Marina is a lot younger than me, but we actually talk all the time. We're friends because Marina, before, you know, she was playing pro tournaments and stuff. Tennis Canada always was really happy with me and my professionalism at a lot of these tournaments growing up before I was in college. And there was a trip, gosh, when was it? 2018 or 2019 before I was in school that they sent Marina with me to tournaments to basically just practice and watch what I was doing okay. every day. And so I kind of always had this thing with Marina that she was almost like a little sister in a way, but I always saw her level. I knew she was going to be good. I looked at Simon LaRose, my old coach back then. I was like, she's really good. She hits the ball. She has something special. I know she's going to be a very good player. And I mean, the results are taking care of itself. She's hitting 50 winners a match and it's the coolest thing ever. So I've been texting Marina a lot and, you know, kind of seeing that and seeing how the team environment and how Canadians have done so well, I think it just shows with everyone's character of how everyone are genuinely good people. It's, it's rare to get everyone who has a really kind soul on the tennis court of course it's cutthroat we want to win every match when we play and we're super competitive but when it gets to that team environment there's just a different feeling that you have and being happy for other people wanting them to win so badly it's like oh my gosh like you're like nervous for someone else and when you're playing you can feel that for sure you can feel when people want you to do well when there's like this personal relationship with them it can make you play better and I think it really shows when our team environments because obviously we've done so well and um it's really fun to watch. you could tell you could tell they were a tight-knit group oh, and as you mentioned does. you watch the players on the sidelines you watch the players who didn't even get to play a match in that competition like rebecca marino still cheering genuinely happy smiling for their their fellow teammates and i think that says a lot too and you know we're like, all in it together we're all doing the same thing and when it comes to that it's like you gotta just enjoy it and push each other to do your best and uh yeah. Would have been great to see your buddy Bianca out there with the squad as well. I'm sure she missed being a part of that for sure. And she's been such a big part of the team and the Canadian program for years now. You still keep in touch with her much? Do you get a chance to see her at all or, or, or catch up? We've been trying to see each other for so long. There's just always things that come up last minute and stuff. But we actually talked on the phone yesterday for a little bit. We text a lot. We talk a lot. No, I mean, there's no time for every day, I don't think. But you know, every week we've been talking and stuff lately. We call each other, text and send each other memes on Instagram and whatnot. But yeah, we're still in contact, of course. Just like regular people and friends do, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, I think me and Bianca are inseparable. And once we're both back on tour, I think you're going to be seeing a lot of us together. Oh, I hope so. That'd be great. Um, is she feeling better? Is she feeling healthy to, to end off the, the year and, and look forward to 2024? 
it seems it seems like it, yeah, she's happy, she's doing her thing. Bianca is always up to something. She's a busy girl and she's always in good spirits. So I'm excited happy. for her next year. Happy to hear that. And you know, we're really happy to hear things are going well for you and excited to see what you can do next. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, we followed you on the podcast, Canadian tennis fans. We're always excited to hear what's what's new with you and uh, it's great to hear that you're going to be able to commit to you know this side of your life this professional tennis side of your life and uh, wish you all the best and Thank looking you. forward to seeing you at the Canadian events unfortunately the Canadian events don't really fall at uh, this time of year but come next summer for sure um, be great to see you at the uh, the events around here in Toronto and and other places in Canada and you know you'll have plenty of crowd support behind you when you're there too sounds like a plan can't wait Okay, and we touch base again next year, right? We get another uh, Carson Brand sign update in in 2024. 2024, I'll see you. If not sooner. Okay, sounds good. Thanks a lot, eh, Carson? Thanks, Mike. See you soon. There you have it. Mike's conversation with Carson Brandstein, who, yeah, to me has sort of like rebuilt her career and, you know, in a way, going down and playing these ITFs, like, with all those injuries that she had and she details the issues with her hips, it's, it's almost like she's starting from scratch again. So to be able to go to Tunisia quickly, win a couple of ITFs and, and cruise through some of these matches, I, I think that's pretty revelatory to how high her level is and certainly how high it, it can be once she gets consistent reps. And if she can have a, a good clean bill of health for the next couple of years. Yeah. And she's had to rebuild herself physically speaking with both hips going through surgery and, you know, many players would have probably said, you know what, my goodness, I've been through so much already at such a young age. I've got my academic options. I've got other pursuits outside of tennis that can keep me busy and financially stable as well. You know, testament to her and her love of the sport to want to continue with it. And she's only 23 years old. There's still so much time ahead for her. And she's built like a, a tennis player. I mean, she's tall. She can serve. She's got power. She's aggressive. Uh, she's got good junior pedigree, as you mentioned earlier, with her slam double success alongside Bianca. Um, and she's still very much a part of the Tennis Canada family who has her back and who she's training with. And she feels very connected to this crew. And, you know, if there's one thing we've seen in recent years from those who've gone through the program, the young ones coming up through the program is how much they are sort of feeding off the energy and the successes that the older players have had. And maybe Carson Brandstein can be, you know, the next in quite a long line of players that have taken that next step in part because their confidence has been inspired by players before them who have, in some cases, even been the same age as them. I mean, look at what Bianca's done, same age as Carson. Um, But I think there's still a lot of untapped potential there with her. And she seems eager to see what she can do about that in the coming season. Yeah. And uh, just hearing you speak with her, it uh, reminded me of, chatting with her i recall us talking with her in 2019 actually shortly after wow. bianca andrescu had broken through to win indian wells and because brand brandstein had that familiarity obviously with bianca not only are they, are they close friends they trained so much together as teenagers winning the two junior grand slam titles and uh, i recall talking about uh bianca's game style with carson who described her as as a like a grand wizard on the court because of her slice and, and variety and that that skill set so uh you know it's cool to reminisce on the past and of course the incredible career that bianca's carved out in that special season and you know fast forward four years later 
and these two these two are still very young uh, i mean as you said just 23 years old a lot to move ahead it, it's interesting how she's kind of worked her way through the college system switching schools um makes me think of bianca jolie fernandez for example actually who is um just committed to go to UCLA, uh, whereas her sister Layla, who's had tremendous success, did not go the college route. So uh, there's different options for a lot of these junior tennis players, and uh, they're going to carve out their niche and, and figure it out. Yeah, to each their own path. And it's been really interesting having this podcast with you the last few years, Ben. And, you know, you mentioned how we talked to her back in 2019, and I'm thinking, wow, is that right? And it's like, well, yeah, we've had the podcast for yep. that long, if not longer now. And I think it's really cool, and I hope our listeners would would sort of feel the same way. And, and from our growing numbers, I would have to say that they probably do, that it's neat to see these recurring guests that we've had season after season and, and see their progress. Because, yeah, you can go back and, and see our first or listen to our first interview with Carson from, from back then. And year after year, I think we've had so many of these players on. It's been like an annual visit. Hey, let's touch base. Let's, let's chat. Let's see what's new and what you've accomplished and what you're looking forward to doing. And mm -hmm. we've kind of been there through the ups and downs with so many of them. And the nice thing is there's been so many ups. If you go back to the start of Matchpoint Canada and where our players were ranked and what we've accomplished and, and to what we've had now, I mean, I guess we couldn't have picked a better time to become the, the official podcast of Tennis Canada, really, when you think about it. Yeah, the, the timing really worked out. Uh, you know, we I recall us speaking to Leila Annie Fernandez after she won her junior French Open title um, as, as a young teenager. And you see how far she has come. So it's been really cool to sort of follow the paths of uh, these these Canadian tennis players and talents. And Carson Branstein is certainly one of those. We wish her the best, of course, uh, for 2024. If we wrap up 2023 and, and shift over to the Davis Cup finals, wow, what a week it was for Italy. What a week it was for Yannick Sinner, the Italians uh, defeating Australia in the finals. 2-0 to win their first Davis Cup since 1976. I think even the bigger story was what Yannick Sinner produced in the semifinals against Novak Djokovic and Serbia. Uh, avenging that loss to Djokovic in the finals of the ATP final in Turin, uh, rallies, beats him in three sets, then uh, takes the court in doubles, beats Djokovic again, saved three match points from 4-5, love 40 down in the third set against Novak. That's, that's unreal. Un unbelievable sends Italy to the finals and it, at at that point it almost felt like a formality especially after Italy got that first singles win from Matteo Arnaldi Sinner takes the court and cruises past him in our 6-3 6 love what a finish to his season what a breakthrough for Italy on the international stage and I, I think it has a lot of people talking about potential 2024 storylines of the top players in men's tennis and how Yannick Sinner looks ready to contend for a grand slam yeah, and 2023 was really the rivalry between Alcaraz and Djokovic for so much of it. In the early parts of 2023, they didn't even play each other, but they kept trading the number one ranking back and forth nonetheless. Then they started playing each other, and my goodness, were the matches ever big. Semi-finals of Roland Garros, finals of Wimbledon. Uh, that Cincy final was just absolutely electric as well. And, and that seemed like the rivalry that was going to grip the entire season on the men's tour. And then Alcaraz faltered a little bit in the late stages. And we have Yannick Sinner coming in and sort of picking things up and doing so incredibly well. And so, you know, Italian tennis fans must be so happy that he got that revenge against Djokovic. And both of them grabbed a very big piece of this late season on the ATP Tour. Um, you think about Sinner, he's so young still. And, and what he's done and how he's progressed the last few years. If you go back to 2022, you know, he was 20 years old, turning 21. He had three slam quarterfinals. 
Then this past year, okay, one slam semifinal, so one step forward. And that was at the age of 21 at Wimbledon. And, and now he's just turned 22 a few months ago. There's so much for him to look forward to. And you have to think the way he's finishing this year will be a big boost for him as he starts 2024, where the outlook should rightly be, hey, is this going to be the first season where he wins a first major title? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, especially just uh, particularly the fall season that he had uh, winning titles in Beijing. Uh, winning a title in Vienna, finishing runner-up in Turin at the ATP Finals, and now this Davis Cup victory. I look at his season, and the Grand Slam results are almost surprising because, you know, the, beyond that semifinal at Wimbledon, uh, Australia, U.S. Open, both disappointing going out in the round of 16. French Open was a surprising flop going out in the second round. Uh, but in a way, I mean, we were right there witnessed his breakthrough firsthand in Toronto for his first Masters 1000 and we of course talked at length about how phenomenal he he looked in person just match after match he was completely dialed in and I I think the strength of some of his wins this season has really stood out 13 wins over top 10 players in one calendar year is really really impressive Uh, he's not only proven he can go toe-to-toe with the best but he can beat the very best and there's really just one question left for him to answer is sort of sustaining that best of five format over two weeks uh, of a slam and you know Alcaraz of course has done it he's done it at an earlier stage and has two of them Yannick Sinner has to be uh, I, I know I'm looking ahead here, but he has to be, I think, one of the top three contenders at the Australian Open um, come next year. Yeah, and you know what? One thing I want to mention here is how his association with Darren Cahill, I think, is so important. And if you're looking for the right kind of coach to work with a young player, then then Darren Cahill, I think, is is that guy. And I can't say enough about this par- partnership. I'm sure it's not cheap. <laughs> I'm sure it's not coming at a you know at, at a, a low expense. It's it's definitely costing, but it's worth every penny. And we've seen them work together. My goodness, the practice sessions here in Toronto and just so positive, so much positive energy, such a great rapport between the two of them. I mean, Cahill knows how to, you know, push the right buttons, when to be serious, when to have some laughs. And although Cahill wasn't, you know, a top five player, he was an established ATP professional for sure. He's played the majors. He's He knows what it's like to win best of five matches. And, and I think he's just the, the perfect guy in terms of his outlook and mentality and approach. Uh, to work with a, a developing talent like Yannick Sinner. Yeah, that that's well said. If we shift over to Canada's performance at, at the Davis Cup final, and, you know, it's it's tough that it can just go by like in a flash, and it was just one day sure. of tennis, and, and you're out. And, and that is the format, format of the knockout stage. We led with quarterfinals and only eight teams, but Canada up against Finland. We felt like the Canadians were definitely the favorites in this. Milos Raonic won the first singles match, his first Davis Cup win in five years. It, things were positioning well, but Otto Virtanen um, getting the second singles match for Finland, defeating Gabriel Diallo, and then the deciding doubles rubber not going the way of Canada as Alexi Gallerno and Vashik Pospisil struggling in, in a straight sets loss. And just like that, Canada is going home. And, you know, if I'm looking at the positives, I mean, the number one to me is Milos Raonic not only back, but winning for his country. The negatives is we didn't even get to see Felix Ojeli seem take the court. That would have been very different. And I'm not, you know, crying uh, foul here, sour grapes. Credit to Team Finland. I mean, pretty epic win for them in their country, of course, and definitely an upset, even without Felix there. But, you know, Felix playing would have, I think, altered things considerably. We were definitely already looking ahead. I thought it would have been, you know, Australia waiting for us there and, and 
clearly the Australians credit to them. They had a great Davis Cup too, and a great season as well for uh, for Alex Dimenauer, who we saw play so well here in Toronto as well. Um, but for the Canadians, yeah, the positive is Milos winning when he should have won. But also we say should have won, but let's be honest, he hadn't played since the U.S. Open. I mean, it was a pretty big ask putting him in that position. Who knows how his body was going to respond. Um, I, I think in the doubles, definitely Vashik is not anywhere close to 100%. I don't think at any point this season he was close to 100% with that elbow still bothering him. Um, uh, Gabriel Diallo still learning the ropes. Maybe he put too much pressure on himself because this time he was actually the favored player in terms of ranking and recent Davis Cup accomplishments in his singles match. So, you know, maybe that played into it as well. And then Alexi Gallerno, um, I don't know how much doubles experience really does he have to, to go into that, that match with Vashik and, and expect to come out victorious. So, um, you know, a few things working against us there doesn't take away from the success they had earlier in the Davis cup in the fall with huge wins from Diallo who beat, um, Oh my goodness. I'm drawing a blank right now. Uh, was it, uh, Sonego? or Sonego? Yeah, yeah. Who beat who now? The Gallium and Gallinari each each beat a top top guy, right? In in Sonego and Musetti. Yeah. Um, and so I think that is a huge positive to take forward. And and both of them contributed to getting Canada to the final eight. Yeah, uh, exactly. And I'll just bring this up because I was a, a guest on the Tennis Unfiltered podcast last week and uh one of their co-hosts, Calvin Bett, was making the point leading into Davis Cup that he'd heard that Vashik Pospisil was not right physically, that with his shoulder, there were reports of him being seen training in the fall and he could not serve the same way. And I know you and I expressed some concerns just watching him in Toronto at the National Bank Open. Like his entire arm was was taped up, like, you know, forearm all the way up to the shoulder. And I felt just watching this doubles match uh, alongside Gallerno, where they lose to Vertman and Heliovara in, in straight sets, like he did not have the same force and pop on his first serve. He was missing a lot of first serves and sort of rolling in the second safely. And they were sort of in survival mode after that. And, and that's such a big part of his game too, right? His serve 100%. is something that is usually such a weapon for him. Yeah, so you, you take away that edge. And I think it was a real uphill battle for Canada in that in that doubles rubber. So I hope he can get right physically. I, I know probably Vashik is definitely winding down his career, maybe just a couple seasons left. But you, you'd like for him to at least finish things out, um, at least physically healthy and, and be able to have one of his biggest weapons there. Yeah, and, and Milos Raonic as well. And I know you posed the question before we recorded, what are the expectations for Milos in 2024 and how much can he play? And I got to be honest, I'd, I'd love to say, hey, I think it's going to be great for Milos and he's going to show us that form that he did against Francis Tiafo here in Toronto. But to be honest, I, I don't know if there's that much left for Milos. And I'm not speaking from any insider information, though I have talked with him quite a bit this year. I'm talking more from just my gut instinct and the amount of time he's had to take away after just a few matches the impact on his shoulder that we saw in Toronto. He was planning on playing the Asian swing and Paris, and that never happened. So mm -hmm. to me, when you've been away for so long and you come back and already there's some, you know, it's not his Achilles that kept him off or his foot that was the problem. But still, when you see it's the shoulder and other things like that, to me, it just speaks to the fact that, uh, yeah, maybe the end is nearer than, uh, than we'd like to admit. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I hope that's not the case. It certainly could be. I'm hopefully he at least plays Australia, that he at least travels there. And I, I don't know if he'll require a tune-up tournament or not. One thing that's probably beneficial to him at a slam in the best of five format is getting that day off between matches. I, I think that's that's really huge for him. And we've seen so many 
breakdowns physically uh, in the past where he has played a 250 or a 500 and you start making a run and winning a couple matches and just having to be on court day after day uh, where, where something goes wrong. So we'll see. Fingers crossed. You'll have to be incredibly selective about the schedule. I've said it before. I'm sure you agree. Uh, he probably never takes takes the court on clay again, right? That's right. I don't think there's any, you know, any good can come from that. Uh, you know, the the potential pitfalls there, I think, outweigh any potential gain, especially where it's placed in the season. If he can get through Indian Wells and Miami, that's great. Rest up and get ready for the grass court season, which is going to be his bread and butter. You're going to want to play as much on those tournaments and, and that surface as you can if you're Milos. So uh, I, I agree. I don't think we'll see him on the clay. Um, I do hope we see him again for Davis Cup. And uh, Canada is in qualifiers against Korea February 2nd to 4th. And the good news is that's going to be played here at home. So great for Canadian tennis fans. We're going to get to go out and see our our men's team, which really, and I'm drawing a blank a little bit here, but I feel like it's been a while since the men have played a home tie, um, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, the women, I think, have played more recently here, uh, out west earlier this year. Yeah, And I don't know, I wonder if Vancouver is going to get it again. It seems like they're getting a lot of the home ties for the country, which makes sense that that part of the country does get some live professional tennis, given that Toronto and Montreal get the big 1,000 tournaments, but I also wonder if Toronto or Montreal is also due to get uh, another uh, Davis Cup um, tie here on home soil, which would be cool for us, given that we live here in the city. Yeah, I mean, selfishly, that's that's what I would prefer, uh, because, of course, we could attend if it does happen to be in, in Toronto, though I suppose we could find a way to attend if it's elsewhere. But um, it, it is at least a nice opportunity that we are back on home soil, the big question mark. And, you know, Canada will be the favorites against Korea, without a doubt is who can make the time and who can go. And, you know, I would probably say you're not going to have Felix there. And I might lean towards saying you're not going to have Dennis either. So it really might be up to... Just, just because it's too close to the Aussie Open. Is that what you mean? Yeah, and just schedule-wise, I, I know Felix always likes to... I think he likes to play Rotterdam often. Um, Dennis has sort of a schedule in there that he likes to play, I think, with Dubai. So you wonder if they're going to make the trip and, and do it that I we could be leaning on Gallerno and Diallo to get the job done again. And, and they're capable. They certainly could. Um, but that would be my my prediction for who you have as sort of your lead to um, come Davis Cup qualifiers yeah. in February. And, and, and you know what? If those are the lead two, what a great opportunity for them and an opportunity that they should seize and an opportunity where they would be considered the favorites as well, given the fact that, you know, South Korea's highest ranked player is uh, Soon Woo Kwan, who's ranked 199th at current time. So, you yep. put our two young Canadians in there. Maybe Vashik is healthy enough to go and anchor the doubles. Um, and that could be enough to to keep moving us forward. And, you know, maybe also on one level for Felix and Dennis, they've won it before, right? Canada's won the Davis Cup now. And I know, like, for Roger Federer, after he got the Davis Cup, that was it. I don't think he really played it again. So mm-hmm. it could also be something where, hey, I've done that once. Not that I'm not going to go and try and compete and, and represent my country again, but also not the same urgency because, you know, you've done it before. Yeah, it, it changes on your list of priorities, I, I'm sure. Uh, as we wrap up, I, I know our, our guest from just a few weeks ago, John Wertheim, uh, sent out a tweet hinting that the Grand Slams could be taking over the top 10 tournaments and one in Saudi Arabia and then shifting all the 500 and 250 level events to the control of the ATP and WTA. I haven't read much about this. Um but I haven't either, certainly... other than the tweet that, that John sent out there that really yeah. caught my attention. Yeah, it's um, it's certainly interesting. And we've had this discussion of like all these different entities in tennis that exist because Australia, Wimbledon, French Open, US Open operate 
separately and then you have your ATP, WTA, ITF, it becomes pretty convoluted. Maybe it's a good thing if the Grand Slams take over, you know, your Masters 1000s and ATP finals. I don't really know. Yeah, well, listen, I'm going to say a couple of things here before we wrap. And, and one is that the WTA to me hasn't really seemed like they're exactly experts in handling their own product. You know, the way okay. that the WTA finals was mishandled, the amount of complaints from the top eight players there. What an absolute travesty. You know, they've got so much potential. They've got so many great stars to promote. And that's how you end your season with a whimper. Um, so maybe it's best someone else takes control of it. And the ATP Tour, don't even get me started with those guys, you know, promoting players like Sasha Zverev and Nick Kyrgios. And I don't think I need to get into more details than that. I'll just leave it at that. But, you know, to me, I, I would have nothing wrong with, you know, some other group coming in and hopefully putting the ship on the right course. You just want to make sure it's taken over by the right people because we've seen in the past, you know, what happens with Davis Cup when it falls into the wrong hands. So, yep. you know, all in due course, nothing that's, that's rushed. The fact that this is coming out without hearing any dialogue does kind of worry me a little bit. Um, but I'm certainly not opposed to, you know, finding a solution that promotes this sport in the best way possible. Yeah, I uh, completely agree with you there. And I think as you sort of alluded to that point, let the players have a say on this. I need the, I mean, your top players especially need to be in on these conversations of, of what is best for the tours and what is best for promoting this sport, which we all know and love. And we want to get it on as many eyes and ears in the case of our podcast uh, as possible. Um, Guys, thank you, as always, for listening to Matchpoint Canada. And thanks to our guest, Carson Brandstein. Uh, more episodes to come, even though the tennis season uh, basically over. But more to come from us. We'll talk to you next time.